Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Ask Firebug Fridays, the weekly fire Q&A where you guys get to submit your questions and I try my best to answer them. How about those magpies, huh? Smashed Richmond, got through to the granny. And I'm actually recording this on the Friday, which is why I'm going to, um, it's not going to be a long one today because I've got to uh, record and do the um, article and get it out published today. So quick, quick one today. But um, yeah, pretty... Pretty excited for tomorrow's grand final. Um, we'll see how Collingwood can go, but I don't know if West Coast can play as well as they've been playing in Victoria, but I guess we'll see. Um, before we begin, I'd like to, of course, thank our wonderful sponsors who keep this uh, podcast and site uh, up and running, one of them being Relentless Hosting, who provides Aussie Firebug with fast and reliable service. But most importantly, their customer service is the best in the business. No international call centers or waiting days for a simple query. You get lightning fast responses from an Australian-based team to help you and your service. If you're looking to start a blog or internet business or you just need some hosting, whatever you're doing, uh, check these guys out. That's Relentless Hosting. I've been around the block a few times with different providers and I've stuck with these guys. I've got a link if you want to head over to aussiefirebug.com slash hosting. You can check them out. Second sponsor is, of course, Self Wealth, the best broker in Australia. If you want to start buying ETFs, listed investment companies, individual shares, you need to set yourself up with a broker. And Self Wealth is the best because it is the lowest price that I've found uh, for making trades on the ASX. $9.50 per trade, no matter what size of the trade. They're chess sponsored, uh, so they don't actually hold your shares, and you can switch to and from brokers if. You sign up and you're not happy. Um, I'm on there and they have a bit of a social media aspect of um, of the platform. You pay a bit extra for the premium. Um, I don't personally have the premium, but you can if you want. Uh, you can follow me so you can um, see exactly what I'm investing in, even though I post it on my net worth um, uh, post every month. You can go in there. You can actually see I'm not, not making it up that everything I'm investing in is actually uh, through the broker as well. Um, as I said, they're chess sponsored, so you can transfer your HIN, uh, stop paying unnecessary higher brokerage fees and sign up with Self Wealth today. I've got a deal for you. If you sign up using my link, you get five free trades. So if you head over to aussiefirebug.com forward slash self wealth, you will get five free trades. You can go over there using my link, sign up, get your five free trades, transfer your money into the holding account and you can make a trade. This is a crucial step in the journey to financial independence through shares or ETFs or licks, uh, making that first purchase, making that first investment, getting the snowball started, uh, seeing those dividends roll in, just that mental barrier of first dipping your toes into the water is a big one. I was there. I went through it. You you do all the months of research wondering, is this the right um, investment portfolios? Is this the right strategy? But once you actually do it, uh, it, it's, it, um, is a stress relief, uh, weight off your shoulders once you, you make that first trade. So really recommend, um, just starting. That's probably the most important thing. So aussiefirebug.com forward slash self wealth, score yourself five free trades and get started to, it started in your journey to financial independence. Let's get into the episode. Just a reminder that nothing spoken in this episode or written in the article is to be considered financial advice. 
These Q&As are for general information only and should not be taken as constituted professional advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decisions. Our first question comes from Riley. Riley asks, hey mate, just quickly, very close to finishing my finance degree and after learning so much about stocks over the last eight months along with your blog and videos uh, has opened my mind up to a whole new can, can of worms in terms of investing. Firstly, I just wanted to say thanks for clearing up a few things with me uh, that I was unsure about. And secondly, I was wondering if you had a template uh, for your net worth that you could send me. I'm looking at buying my first stocks at the end of the month. Uh, all my money is in a term deposit until then and would like to use a template similar to yours to track my progress. No worries if you can't just thought I'd ask. Cheers, Riley. Hello, Riley. Thanks so much for your question. Uh, firstly, I'm so glad that you're enjoying the blog, mate. Uh, that's good to hear. Um, and congratulations on finishing up your finance degree. Now, this is a question I sometimes get because I've had a few videos uh, on my YouTube channel explaining how we go through the process of uh, buying shares and or buying the ETFs and when we buy certain ETFs and stuff like that. And we do uh, look at a certain spreadsheet, which I'm going to give a link to everyone to download. So I use this spreadsheet. Um, it has everything on there, it has my complete net worth and all the ETFs and stuff that I invest in or we invest in and all our liabilities, all our loans and everything like that. Um, and I basically use it. What I'll do is I'll put a um, form on the post that you can enter in your email address and I'll send you a link to the file. And I'll also put in a link to the YouTube video that explains how I use that sheet um, for purchasing shares. So, Check it out. Check the YouTube video out if you haven't already. You might you might have already watched it. And sh uh, send put your email address into that the form on the website, and I'll send you a link to the form, and that should help you out. Good luck. Second question comes from Mary. Mary asks, "My partner and I are currently paying an additional fifty percent into our mortgage per month to get it down as fast as possible." We are now looking into the option of buying an investment property. Is it better to keep paying down our mortgage at this rate or should we be putting that money into our offset for additional money for the deposit? There seems to be a lot of information regarding the first deposit and then allocating money to ETF slash shares, but not a whole lot of information for the second deposit. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Mary. Hi, Mary. Um, this is my take on that question. So, Firstly, I would ask, is your current mortgage for your primary place of residency? Because there is a lot of difference. If your first mortgage that you're talking about is for your home um, versus an investment property, like it's, I'd give two completely different answers depending on um, the answer to that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to assume that you're talking about your pr primary place of residency as your first mortgage and then you're looking to buy an investment property and start a second mortgage. My take on it is that I always try to put a 20% uh, deposit down when I'm putting uh, when I'm buying a, an investment property or when we eventually buy a house, but um, I'm going to speak in regards to your second mortgage, so and it's you're doing it for an investment property. So I always try to do a 20% deposit 
This does two things. Firstly, it gives a little bit of buffer room. Um, if anything happened, there was a catastrophe, you needed to pull your money out again. Um, you might lose a bit of money, but if you put 20% deposit down, like the loan, you, you've got a bit of equity at, at play there with a 20% deposit. Like it's a decent amount that the loan isn't right to the value of what the property's worth and you, you're going to, you know, be feeling the heat. Um, if interest rate interest rates rise or anything like that, so it's just a good number. I think it's a it's a decent number. It's not too much. It's not too little. Um, and the second reason I put twenty percent down, and probably the the most the more important reason, is to um, avoid lenders' mortgage insurance, the LMI. Now, lenders' mortgage insurance, it's a bit ridiculous if if you if I'm being frank, it's a insurance that the bank has if you default on your loan. So you pay an insurance for the bank. In case you default on your loan, which is, you know, the banks have the money, so um, they make the rules. But I don't know; it's a bit, bit like, just feels like a um, a fee that they can charge, so they do charge just to get more money out of us. But whatever, they got the money, so they make the rules. Um, so put twenty percent down, and then after that, for all my investments, investment properties, and all the mortgages that I currently hold now, I don't like to pay off anything else for the mortgage for the investment properties. Now, there's a, it's it's key that you um, note that it's only for investment properties that I don't like to do, to do this. What I like to do is any spare money that I have, savings, um, like emergency fund, spare savings, anything like that, I dump everything into the offset, which reduces my um, interest on the loans, but it gives me the flexibility if I ever need, need the money out. And there's actually a, um, there's a tax... Um, rule that if you pay off a loan and then you um, re- redraw it and then move, like turn a, um, a house into an investment property or vice versa, um, not 100% of the loan could be tax deductible. It's a technical rule, but um, you might want to look into it. You might not, but it's the reason I do it. It's just easier and it's it makes sense to do so. Now, in saying that, the bank's in Australia have made it hard to do this um, strategy because they've jacked up the interest rate on interest only um, loans so much that there's a a significant difference now on interest only versus um, paying principal and interest, um, which is super annoying um, because if you speak to any property investor, that's pretty much how um, 90% of them structure their loans. They put a deposit down, they have the loan, and then any spare money they put into an offset. They hardly ever pay down the, the, the mortgage. Even though they got the money, they might have a loan for 250K and they have $200,000, but they'll sit it in the offset. They never want to pay off the loan completely in unless they're selling the house. Um, so having the interest-only um, component on the loan is really good for that. But now because of the banks and the, the way the market currently is, it's just making it harder to do that. And it's something that I've looked at um, to can, to switch my loans over to P&I um, because the the difference in rate is so much now, which is, as I said, I don't really ag- agree with it, but I understand that they're trying to regulate the housing market and to, you know, stop um, bubblish activity happening um, and stuff like that. So I get it. It's just super annoying. Um, I'm probably going to switch my loans over to P&I soon just to take advantage of the difference in rate. Um, now, back to your original question, um, if we're talking about your first loan is your PPOR, your primary place of residency, 
what I would do is I would save up the money for a 20% deposit to avoid the lender's mortgage insurance and to have a nice little buffer. And then any spare money after that, I would smash the loan on the primary place of residency. Now, there's a, there's a very specific reason I would do this. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't allocate more to the deposit is what I'm saying. 20% deposit, then all the money after that goes into your house, like the house that you live in. The reason that is, is because your PPOR interest is not tax deductible, whereas the investment property interest is. Now, I hope that makes sense because uh, I hope you Google negative gearing. If I hope you know what negative gearing is. If you don't, give it a quick Google. But in a nutshell, let's say that you have a house that you live in and you've got a loan for $200,000 and you've got an investment property and you've got, and that loan is for $200,000. The interest that you accrue on your house, you can't claim that as an offset in, on your taxable income. Like it's just the interest that's accrued, you pay it, and then that's the end of the story. However, the interest you accrue on your investment property is tax deductible. So if your investment property makes a loss, which there's a whole raft of reasons that um, it could technically make a loss, but be cash cash flow positive. Like let's say that your um, all inch all expenses um, minus the income that's come into the property uh, turns out to be a um, a positive. Uh, you s- that's cash flow positive, but you've still got to factor in the depreciation, which isn't actually a cash um, deduction leaving your your like bank account. So that's a, that's another story, and I'm sort of getting off topic. Um, main thing I wanted to say is that the um, primary primary place of residency interest is not not tax deductible, and the investment property is. So you always want to not that you want to have loans, but if you're going to have a loan, you want to have the largest loan backing an asset because that loan will be tax deductible. You don't want to uh, divert or direct capital into uh, loans that are backing assets. So if I've got like, if you inherited $100,000 and you wanted to either pay off $100,000 off your house or your investment property, always, always pay it off the house unless there's some specific reason why you wouldn't. Um, But that's what I would do. I'd pay off the house first and then I would look at any spare money going into the offset or I'd look at diversifying your assets and uh, investing in um, ETFs or licks or something different like that. So- um, so yeah, I think I've covered everything I wanted to say. Paying off your primary place of residency is what I would do. I wouldn't allocate any more than a 20% deposit to your investment property. And that's how I would do it. Hope that's answered your question. If that doesn't make sense, and I sort of rambled on a little bit there, um, just drop me a comment in the article and I'll follow it up. Thank you. And our last question for today is from Michelle. Michelle asks, I'm a dual citizen of the United States and New Zealand uh, with no US savings and a small New Zealand superannuation. I now reside in, in Australia and am new to the Australian super system. I'm 51 and registering for the first time and seeking advice on preferred providers. It seems the fire community prefers Australian super and host super plus. Other suggestions, pros and cons, question mark. I started late and lost a significant amount of money when my late husband was ill. So focusing on intense savings 
I really enjoy your podcast and am and am excited to have found you. Also, are there restrictions or considerations for me as a dual US slash New Zealand citizen and Australian permanent resident when signing up for Self Wealth? I'm very keen to in start investing in ETFs slash index funds. Thank you, Michelle. Michelle, welcome to Australia. And firstly, I'm sorry to hear about your late husband and financial losses, but as you have mentioned, it's never too late to start. Um, I'm definitely no expert in this area, so I want to preface this um, to say that this is not financial advice. Always do your own research. I'm only going to talk about what I would do if I was in your situation. Um, first of all, I would figure out because this is a bit of a strange one because you're a dual citizen of two other countries other than Australia, but I would find out, um, I'd get information about when you can access super. That's probably the, the, the biggest bit, the most important piece to this puzzle is finding out when you can access super. Is there any special rules behind dual citizens? Is there, is, is your preservation age the same as an Australian considering your dual citizen? You know, stuff like that. I'd find that out first. Secondly, I'd ask you, are you planning to retire in Australia and are you currently working right now? If the answer to both of those questions are yes, I'd look into salary sacrificing um, as much money uh, up to the cap, if you can afford it, that's $25,000 a year, into super because it offers the best tax advantage. And because you're 51, so not too long to go to a normal preservation age, it might be different for you. Um, That's what I would do. I would salary sacrifice as much into super um, to get that big tax advantage. Now, I had a quick Google and there seems to be special rules for New Zealand citizens that may allow you to transfer your super between New Zealand and Australia. I put a link into the article, so definitely check that out. And there's also a uh, another link that I put in for um, from the ATO about super for temporary residents leaving Australia, which you may want to look into. Now you mentioned that you're you're a permanent resident, but you didn't say if you were planning to live here forever um, or anything like that. So I think there's rules that you can set up super here and then go back to your home country and um, and get your, get access to your super early. So you definitely check that article out. Now, in regards to the um, uh, which super funds like are recommended by the, the FIRE community, um, Host Plus, as you mentioned, is a good option. I've seen that being recommended a lot. Um, to be honest, I haven't done a whole bunch of research in like individual super funds um, because it's not going to help me retire early and I really focus on strategies outside super. Uh, but for your circumstances, being that you're near nearing the preservation age, uh, I'd look. I'd be looking into investing into super. So I'd definitely check out uh, different options. Host Plus, from what I've heard, has really low fees, which is a big tick in my book. Um, you can't really go terribly wrong uh, for any industry super fund as long as the fees are kept to a minimum. So have a have a quick Google. There's some other sites out there that is more. Um, that has more expertise in this, in that niche category. Uh, as for the self wealth part of your question, just drop the guys, um, drop the guys a line at self wealth. Uh, I don't really know the answer to it about setting up your account being a dual citizen, but I do know that the guys at self wealth have really good customer support. So they'll definitely help you out. Just go to their website, email them, 
um, they'll get back to you and they're really, really helpful and they make it super easy. So, um, that's what I would do. Um, other than that, good luck, um, with your investing journey. And, uh, I'm glad you reached out because, um, hopefully someone listening to this or reading your question has a bit more experience being a dual citizen and maybe can provide, um, some answers that I couldn't. So, uh, good luck. And that is the end of Arcs Firebug Fridays for today. It's a quick one today, I know. Um, I'm currently recording this on Friday, so I'm trying to I'm going to get this out as soon as possible. Sorry, it's a bit later for today. Um, usually, I drop it first thing in the morning to um, have people listen to it on their morning commute because that's what I like to do with podcasts, but um, it'll be out sometime after lunch, so hope that's uh, okay. Anyway, go Collingwood for tomorrow and I will see you guys next Friday.